Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want, I want to tell the story of how it came to be. Yeah. Does it start with me being born or you being born? Or is it us getting married? I mean, where, where does it start? Well, <laughs> I think it starts, I think it starts, it was a shit, it was Tuesday. So today we were recording this on Monday. We were having a shitty day. Basically, we, we were really looking forward to going to see our son's first choral concert. So we're like, oh my God, we're going to get to go into his school and get him, see him like sing a ridiculous song. It'll be like sweet and funny. And we were getting really excited for it. They canceled it because it was pouring outside and they were going to have, have it outside because of COVID. So I was in a mood. And then I was downstairs in a little huff and puff and you went, Sarah. And I think to myself, just fucking like, don't, are the text me? Like, why are you? Yeah. Come up here. He, here was the bedroom. The bedroom. Because, because I, you, I often... Um, you don't leave the bed. I would say on average you don't get out of bed until like two. But I'm not just rolling around no, in my own filth. It's, you're you, not. You, you're you, working. I call it the office of the baby king because you look like this little king sat in bed. So you're working. You're doing stuff. And I just hear you go, Sarah. I go, what? You go, come up here. Did any part of you think it was a sexual overture? <laughs> no, I thought it might not be. Maybe when this podcast is over, we'll have some more sex. I hope my parents don't hear that. <laughs> I think between the podcast and the fact that I think I'm in a perimenopausal phase, you're working constantly and like my vagina is like drying out <clears throat> as we speak. Anyway, you go, Sarah, come up here. I come up, I go, what? You go, well, I just got an interesting email. Yes. Yeah, so s- someone from HBO had been in touch. And my first thought was, oh God, is this some kind of cease and desist thing? Uh-huh. So you waited before you even said anything to me. I thought, we're both having a bad day here. Yeah. I will just um, wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So after a bit of back and forth, mm-hmm. it turns out it's the publicity department. And they say, we are aware of the podcast. Oh. When are you recording your finale episode? And wasn't it, we know you're doing a live episode on Sunday? Wasn't there something like that in yeah, it? Yeah, which again made me think they're keeping tabs on us and, and we were going to get served with a writ. Huh. Or maybe they were going to send people to close down a live episode. Maybe it's going to be like the Rolling Stones at Altamont or something. <laughs> they're going to send the heavies in. <laughs> they're going to get the Hells Angels and break this whole thing up. Um, so yeah, they, they said, we know you're doing a live episode. When are you recording your finale episode? And, and do you have a guest? And then I think, Okay, well, this this is bad news. We're in business. We're we're in business. business. Here is my honest thought. Yeah, somebody there has happened across this podcast, quite likes it, and has been pushing to get as anybody even vaguely connected with the show. And I, I thought maybe, just maybe, my wife's dreams will come true, and we'll get to speak to Colin. Yes, Logan's body man. Yes, because you you fixated on him a lot on the podcast. He's very good, and he was wonderful in this finale episode. He really was, he actually. He was really good in the finale, the, the finale, Pip, in the finale. So I kind of lie, because we had already booked and recorded a guest in David Baddiel. And you can't tell David Baddiel, thanks, but no thanks. No. Yeah, and specifically we asked David Baddiel because we wanted, for our final episode, someone with a sense of a crescendo. So I get any of my bets and leave it with me. Mm. It feels like an eternity. So it might have been two hours, right? Is that all it was? I think it was two hours because we had that conversation before I went to get Gene from school. I pick him up at 3.20. He and I go for a little pizza right after school. A little after school snack that's just a full pizza. (laughs) So I pick up the phone. Maybe it's 3.45. It's you calling. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he's got the news. I go, hello. You go, dear Jesse. I go, what are you saying? 
You go, it's him. I go, shut up. Okay. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have to call my parents. So I call my mother. I go, hello. She goes, hello. <laughs> I go, oh, um, and I'm, you know, I'm just like, just. You're so you know, excited. I'm like, so like adrenaline rush. I go, oh, how are things? She goes, well, not great. Um, and she's doing a thing to test her allergies right now. So, so in other words, the. Hello. <laughs> Do you know when someone answers the phone with the, yeah, hi, uh, is everything okay? It's then impossible yeah. to share good news. And then news. you're like, oh, oh, okay, this is immediately the wrong receptacle for this information. I think 95% of the time that you try and share news where you already have a reaction in mind that you're expecting. I know. I, it, I, it goes It goes poorly. It goes poorly and you can sort of only, and then we were talking about like, oh, it's so interesting, like when you get good news. Other than your spouse, you never quite know where to put it. I could not imagine ringing my family and saying, hey, I've got some great news. Right, which I sort of mostly can with my parents. You didn't wind up calling anyone, did you? No. I find it very difficult to share good news. Yeah, I guess I do too. Don't get me wrong. It's all I we want. Love all I want is good, love good news. news. No, no, no. All I want but is it's good like, news. Uh, you know, it's just a funny one, isn't it? And I think that's very human. Jesse Armstrong would understand our reaction to trying to figure out the news of how to share the news that we got to speak to Jesse Armstrong. And then... It happened. It did, and that's what you're about to hear. And we talked to Jesse this morning. We watched the finale and spoke to him pretty much immediately afterwards. We allude to the finale a bit, but it felt almost too... Even even though it was the most astonishing episode, it, it felt too small to get this time with Jesse and and just talk about that hour of television and not the whole series and him and how he works and how the team works. And yeah, and my God, think about that. Like, we've spent so much time in the last few days thinking about how we would narrow five hours of questions down to one. I did ask HBO for 11 to 14 hours and maybe a sleepover, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I would love to do a, a non-sexual... Oh, I would love to do a sexual thing. <laughs> but I was warned that he was very sexy. Did I tell you that? Yeah, you said it on stage at the live show. Yeah, okay, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember the context of which I said it, but I get it. I just want to say also, like, you've done a lot more interviewing in your career than I have. So you weren't particularly nervous. I was quite nervous but because of his empathy levels i feel he really knows how to um to set me at ease here it is i, I still can't quite believe it happens we, we've gone from making jokes about i think we're gloating again i think this is a gloat but i, I mean it just it seems so... i don't think we have, i think our story out now and just that we got to speak to the j-dog that's how I'm going to refer to him from now on. I think maybe he'll never come back on this podcast yeah, no, no, if he no. hears that. I think, no, no, no. I think he can feel the twinkle in my voice and okay. he'll find it just hilarious. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. 
Hello, Jesse. Hey. Can I just check that you, you are here of your own free will? <laughs> well, look, when you said you were interested in chatting and we had to meet up outside Reading at this meet process <laughs> and ushered me into the, you know, the shipping container. Initially, I was concerned, but I feel like I trust you and you're going to let me out if I give you what you require. Yeah, yeah. And, and the photographs in the envelope, I mean, I would never do anything with them. No, I've heard really good things about the podcast. I, because of a sort of either strength or weakness of character, I can't listen and watch too much stuff related to the show. But I've heard bits of yours, which I hope isn't rude, but I've heard bits and, I, and so it seemed like a fun thing to do. So um, thank you for doing all your podcasts about the show. I'm glad you enjoyed and, it. And you weren't terrified by Sarah because I, I almost feel like Sarah... I feel has, like I manifested. You manifested. Jesse Armstrong. <laughs> like I, it's, it's sort of this example that if you, if you will it, it can be... It's like I read The Secret or something and then he came to us. Also, on a scale of one to ten, the clips that you listen to, were we being extremely filthy or just slightly filthy? Or did you just happen to catch a neutral moment? Well, you know, he, uh, having not listened to it all, I don't know what proportion. I have to say that there was quite a lot of filth. So either I was unlucky in what I hit or a strong vein of filth through the whole thing, is there? I think it's a combination of filth and then Sarah basically asking you questions through the medium of the podcast or, or trying to audition for, for the succession. You've done a lot of kind of line readings in the hope that Jesse will cast yeah, you. Yeah, no pressure. I'm hoping to be discovered today. And I just thought I'd, I'd really put that out there in a blatant way. I'm going to turn off my messages, which are dinging, Tony oh. Roach, telling that's annoying. Well, you, your messages must must be dinging because not only is it your birthday, yeah. So happy <gasps> birthday! birthday. Um, how long did it take you, by the way, to get the uh, the giant birth canal into your house? <laughs> yeah, a while. <laughs> but it was the finale last night, and the show airs because we're in the UK as are you, and so we're asleep when it's airing. How how do you sleep knowing that the finale or any episode is going out at nine o'clock in the States? Yeah, it is weird. It's it's weird knowing that, that like something, it's like, I don't know what it is, knowing that uh, a natural disaster or a, a thing happening elsewhere in the world and you're... Uh, it while you're asleep so uh yeah it's that is a bit funny and can i ask as well this this thing i was thinking about especially with this season we saw these like incredible cameos from these different actors adrian brody justin kirk and i was wondering like now that getting to be on succession would be a real moment for for anybody in the acting biz do you get approached by people awkwardly like i'm not expecting you to give us a name but have you had a red carpet moment where some significant actor has sort of come up to you and let you know oh how much i would love mr armstrong oh yes have you anything like that no i mean you occasionally get occasionally i've heard through other people but you never know whether people are just being nice or you know saying it theoretically and then if you actually rung them up they'd be like actually there's a there's a a diary clash so i haven't had an actual awkward person to person we thought maybe you would have become adept at shutting that kind of thing down (laughs) we watched the finale this morning and um as ever a strange feeling to be sitting sobbing in my dressing gown i mean not an unfamiliar feeling to me but it was just astonishing and especially the scene with the three siblings it was so moving and part of what was brilliant about it i hope that this uh this praise doesn't make you feel too uncomfortable but it really gets at the stuff of life without ever descending into sentimentality there's an embarrassment that i think a lot of us feel to people expressing their true feelings and and, and an awkwardness at knowing how to behave around those feelings and, and i wonder if you could talk to us both a little bit about how you avoid the sentimentality and also i wonder if that is true of you now having this conversation if there is just an awkwardness to you trying to talk about your work in an in an earnest way yes and yes and yes good all good questions and good thoughts and all true yeah i mean uh, you know in terms of the praise i'm you know pathetically conflicted i'm hungry for praise like a pathetic human being that i am and then i don't really know how to respond to it i'm not very good with it when it comes so thank you know what i can try and do is say thank you and i'm just i'm just ever so pleased when people uh, smart people respond to the show and respond to the things we're trying to do yeah, and in terms of the those relationships and the and the um, lack of sentimentality, that's that's not something I have to reach for. It's not like I write, write a lacrimose version of that scene and then have to pair it back and remember to put the jokes in. I feel 
that's my sensibility and my sense of life is that awful things happen. And then if you're close to people, you guess what? You make a joke if that's one of the ways you respond. And that doesn't mean that you think that it's funny that someone's died or there's something awful might happen or has happened. It means you rightly you trust each other to know that just because this is funny, it doesn't mean it, this is funny. It's it's just that's it's very human and very it's quite emotionally. Well, it, it can do many things at once. That humor, right? It can bring you closer, and it can and it can say, "Hey, back off! I don't, I can't, quite, I can't quite go there." Are there rules in the writers' room in terms of sort of like no no lessons, no hugs, sort of rule? Are there red lines that you don't cross? How does that sort of approach get get baked in in the writing good, room? It's good thought. Yeah, I think. Well, I think we have a no rules rule, you know, in the, in the, in the, it's a really good, um, I was watching a bit of the, I've rationed myself. I'm a bit of a Beatles fan and I haven't watched Get Back. I started watching it last night. I am going to get to your question eventually, but remind me if I don't. (laughs) And one of the things I loved about it, many, many things, so great, um, but is the bits where it's going well and the collaboration is working and our writing room isn't the Beatles. But when it feels good, a collaboration in a room is a wonderful thing. And that made me want to, it just made me want to be back in the succession writing room because when it's going well, there's a, you know, ego-lessness, there's a building on the last idea, there's a, you know, you get out, you manage to carve a little bit of time out of time when you're with a nice group of smart people talking about creative stuff and some of it's funny and some of it's emotional. And so to your point, I would never say, no, we can't do that because that would be too much, you know, that'd be too much emotional. We can't do that. If somebody has a pitch for like, you know, what happens when you tell something to somebody that you really mean it, then that could go in the show. But equally, we might uh, decide that it's too much or that what really happens when you tell somebody a terrible secret is it feels like this. So it's all it's all available. I guess the thing we try and do, and it sounds corny, is we try and tell the truth and we know the characters pretty well. I know the characters pretty well. And so that's the barometer. I think that's the only that's the only thing of like, that, I guess that would be cool, but it's just not true. That would always stop me in my tracks and it would be what I'd say to other writers if I was trying to stop them in their tracks. And, and on that collaboration, just on the, on the get back thing, they don't need to explain why to each other because they've gone from being teenagers to being kings of the world and they've developed this shorthand. What's interesting about Succession is you've got this incredible team of writers from Georgia Pritchett, Lucy Preble, Tony Roche, some of whom you've worked closely with in the past, some of whom you haven't. How, how quickly is it possible to get that shorthand in, in a collaboration yeah it's pretty easy because like you know if if we had to do <laughs> we had to brainstorm an episode of succession right now if you've watched all the episodes you know if you know all the stuff you, you don't have to have a special toolkit. we ask each other to be sort of emotionally I don't know available sounds a bit corny but like we want to talk about real stuff so it helps if you can try to talk about how real things feel having said that it's true when we first started it was tremendously comforting for me to have some people in the room who I really um, knew well but it happens pretty quick in the morning right and or you know you meet somebody at a party and you only have to um, clock that you've got a similar way of thinking about the world quite quickly and you can go pretty deep if you're both willing to go there. So so I don't, it's not terribly exclusive. And new people have sometimes joined the room and, I, and, and, and sometimes, you know, it's a little bit getting to know you, but it, 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 if, it, if, it, if it's going to work, which it always has, it's, it happens pretty quick. I would be curious to know. I know I won't get any name. Like, has anyone ever come in and not been a fit? And then, <laughs> and then, no, no, you, so, you this is, no, we have, you know, the right, you know, the right people to ask. Well, a little bit of that, you know, I read their stuff and I always chat to people before they join the room and, and not everyone is good in the room in the same way. Mm. Some people aren't, aren't so verbal. Some people aren't so emotionally available. Some people are funnier. But we haven't had anyone who's kind of broken the room by bringing a bad vibe in or saying, like, weird, mad shit. See, that's what I do to any room, I think. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to say. You can, do you consider yourself to be quite a good judge of, of character? You, you know, if I was going to be vain, yeah, you I would must, say, you I think be. that would be one thing I would put, I would put on my list of, I think I, I have an, inst- I do have an, I think I have quite an instinctive sense of who I think is, like, going to be somebody who's, good for the show and maybe that's in other areas of life 
Do you? Do I? Uh, first oh, don't, of all, don't ask her that. First of all, Jesse, yes, I think you do. And it takes one to know what. It's my whole, like, there's nothing that ever makes me feel worse about myself than if I misjudge someone because mm. I sort of trust my own judgment so much that if I'm ever wrong about someone, it's like. That's spooky, isn't it? Yeah. It's because you're like, oh, they, they did me. They, a, they were smarter than I am in this way that I value intelligence the most i think i think that's something we've come to learn about the show as well for a lot of the time you're trying to second guess and look for red herrings and think about what people are really up to what they might be doing and then there was a point at which for us anyway we we thought oh no it's not that type of show it's just all there if you know the characters you kind of know what they're doing and Mm. it's not like trying to solve a mystery even like with the big question of who the successor will be i don't feel like we the viewer are trying to solve a mystery do you think that's right i think it is it's a bit like what sarah was saying is we try to give all the information and and i guess it is a bit mysterious what people are going to do and what's going to happen but it should be mysterious like it is when you're talking about your friends as i said rudely i've only hit little bits of your podcast but i quite enjoy the intertextual thing of hearing a married couple talk about the show and you're you interact in a enjoyable way um revealing different facets of your character and that's i like talking about people i, li- I like people i'm fascinated in people and i hate some people um but uh, I what i want to what we'd love with the show is for the people to be as rounded and ambiguous not ambiguous the way you receive them should be ambiguous just because sometimes people don't tell you everything about themselves but you should be able to figure it all out right we're not hiding any big pieces from you but guess what it people surprise you because you don't didn't know them as well as you thought they did or circumstances prevail to make them reveal different parts of their character you weren't you didn't see coming the thing that we've latched on to is is the amount of detail and i think that can be in the backstory of the characters it can be in this world you've created and i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, because if you, you said you've, you sort of steer clear of the coverage for your own sanity, but there is out there in the wider world this obsession with the detail of the show. On any given day after an episode, there'll be all these kind of clickbaity articles about can you really kill a rabbit with a bagel or um, like deep dives into Kendall's jacket that he wore at his 40th or, or Forbes digging into the financials of Waystar. And I, I wondered if we could talk a bit about how that attention to detail, the background of the world that they live in and and the characters that they are, how it informs the show. Is that reaction because of your obsession with with detail? I hope so. I I guess I like having answers to all those sorts of questions. Not we don't have answers to everything. Some things are contingent and, you know, that's just what the art department had that day and then maybe somebody might overinterpret it. But to the majority of character, business financial, emotional, character questions, we have, I have answers to posit to those things. And I hope that means that, you know, the show is a as a net that you can, as the audience, you can high wire over knowing that the net is there, that like, nothing, we're not going to drop you, that we know these people, we're not fucking around, this stuff works, this is a decent approximation of the world that we're showing you. And I, yeah, I don't get into all that stuff too. And it's obviously, it's very gratifying that people would find that would be interested in that level of detail because on the whole, we do the work to make it a complete world. What obsesses you? Like, are you like a crazy fan of anything? I'm not one of those people. I'm not like, I don't tend to rewatch shows or I have very strong reactions to art like to movies and tv and books and poems um of of those four i would only really tend to return to poems though most other things i feel like i don't want to squeeze the toothpaste again i mean i enjoy then i do enjoy re-watching things but it's not something i tend to do and i would have said until this beatles movie came out that like i was quite a I know a thing or two about the Beatles, but Jesus Christ, I don't know anything compared to the people who really know uh, about the Beatles. So I'm not a, I'm not a real obsessive like that about about cultural or other stuff. Well, to return to people who are, we noticed. So in the scene that that my husband and I refer to as the sibling summit towards the beginning of the third season where all the siblings get together and they're in Sophie's bedroom. And we had some people pointing out to us that there were photographs of um, 
Sophie with Billie Eilish on the wall. And it's like, oh, of course, right? A billionaire's granddaughter is going to get to meet pop stars. Those kinds of details. Is that coming from you or do you show up to work that day and you're like, oh my gosh, my set designer is so amazing. Yeah, it's a collaboration. It's And in that specific example, that was Stephen Carter and his team, the production designer. We'd had some initial discussions about what the room should look like. And I remember vividly him taking me around it a couple of days before going, what do you think? And I think all the decisions were his and his team's decisions in terms of that. Maybe we'd thrown out some hints, but like a all good teams, when it's working well, becomes uh, self-reinforcing or it becomes a kind of um, vicious circle of goodness. Like he, we, we get each other, he, he has a pitch and then we like it. So oftentimes that's just working with really smart people who get the show. And then other times, like when we did the party, I think the majority of the rooms were scripted ideas, pitches to Stephen or in collaboration with him and his team about what what we might get. And, and I'm afraid to say because, you know, we've often got the scripts from early on, but I we end up really focusing on them a little bit late. Some things like that whole treehouse he had to build on the weekend. Right. <laughs> like, like I think that was a bit of a fucking hell, guys. You know, it's great to think of these things, but just a little bit more warning would be nice. How, how often do you um, put something into the script that gets built, maybe something elaborate, and then it because of the edit, it doesn't end up on screen? Not too much. I mean, I feel, you know, we do we overshoot quite a lot. We, we, sh- we shoot a good 50% too much, I would say, each episode, sometimes 100%. Um, and so a lot of scenes and bits get cut i don't i remember i remember going in, going into the conk when they built um the um senatorial hearing room for the penultimate episode of last season that i think i hadn't completely finished writing because those last two are often the cards are pretty vague for those that i'm gonna work from and that one i hadn't finished writing and and I, when i saw the amount of work they'd done doing this room i felt a cold shiver oh. of like <laughs> Fuck this up! Like it's all very well scribbling away, but there are there are men and women staying up all night getting this architrave right. So you better not fuck this one up. (laughs) And um, I know that you like for anybody we we see on screen, you try and talk to a real life equivalent or find out about the lives of a real life equivalent. And one of the things I loved in the series was Tom fretting about the prospect of going to prison. And one of the details was in that was that he had hired a consultant. Is that a real thing? Do white-collar criminals have almost like travel agents for prisons? Yeah, they do. And John Brown, one of my friends and writers on the show, got into all that. You know, he went away and, and got into the prison blogs and got into oh, um, got into the world of prison consultants and he spoke to a couple. And that's the kind of thing which can be a fun detail that then it's great to have a bit of an iceberg situation so not a ton of it might end up in the show, but we know that world and... I find that an enjoyable element in films and TV, right? That you, there's a Billy Wilder thing about a movie being like, you either trust it or you don't. And I think to your earlier point about the research and so on, I think people hopefully can sense that sense of trust of like, yeah, that that sounds weird, but yes, that sounds right. You know, what you want, I want continually that sense as a member of the audience of like, huh, I've never been on, in one of those planes but yeah that probably checks out even in, in a way especially if it's kind of weird and not what you not what you initially imagine it almost shows like the taste and restraint of the thinking that goes into the show that you wouldn't then think oh that'd be a funny idea for a character a guy whose job it is to go around and advise the the, the fact that he's just alluded to and, and and not seen yeah i mean that's that's the job, right. <laughs> you know, is kind of making those calls of like, yeah. what's what's indulgent, what's enjoyable, what you should glancingly reference and what you should dig into. And that's, that's I guess that's the job. If you're, you're saying sort of at one point, like, look, I like a little approval. I like to know that people are liking me, but also for all these reasons of self-preservation, but also I would imagine like keeping your head clear of what everyone wants from the show. How does your need for approval manifest? Or if you're at the center of this 
thing that you've created that people are loving and you need to tap into that love a little bit, how do you, what do you Google? What are you doing? What hours are you doing that in? I'm nodding away here. It's a great question. You're really, you're, you're getting in there. You're digging in. Let me in. dig this is top in. Quality. This is the this moment is top, of my life, Jesse. Let me have this. It's great. It's, and that, I think right now that's the tough bit of the show. You know, you, I want... We work really hard on the show. I work really hard on the show. It's like been, especially this season, taken for fucking ever. <sighs> and, you know, I just really want people to enjoy it. And therefore, yeah, you know, and I want, so I want to, I want to know, you, you know, and if it's know. a studio sitcom, I could hear them laughing. But the, but the flip side is that the culture is so, the world is so overwhelming that, if I dove into Twitter or even started reading, I'm not, I have to be like Kendall. I have to get the metadata. You have to get your metadata. Okay, wait. Has Jesse Armstrong ever Googled Jesse Armstrong succession? Have you done that in the last month? Uh, I, I, have, yeah. I have done yeah, that. You, I, should know. To... you should know what people are saying. Are you playing good tweet, bad tweet? Well, exactly. And that's, that was... Um, that wasn't my creation. That was Will Tracy, I think. But oh. it was, it, it's, a good, it's a good game, isn't it? But it's not a game I would recommend yeah. a healthy individual to play. And as almost as soon as I did what you said, I thought this is not. No. I mean, it, it, it's. I don't know if you can tell me how to how one's spent supposed to respond to the cultural reaction. I, I just don't know because all, all I know is you can't get into it. But I'd like to listen to all your podcasts because I'd like to hear smart people talking about the show. But I need to save that energy for when we next go back into the room and not to have too many good and bad ideas from right. out there coming in. I guess the the one good the one good thing, there is only one good thing uh, about about that is that the room is tremendously cleansing for that. Like I don't know what my other my fellow writers look at it, look at some of that stuff. But once we form that little gang in the room again, it's like it's a great filtration system for the dumb takes and the smart takes the good criticism the bad criticism so I guess even if I do get infected a bit by what people might be chatting about about the show infected is a pejorative word because some of it's smart and I love talking to friends especially smart friends and anyway you need to get out of that stuff and the room helps you do that I want to ask my I'm going to ask my food question now Jeff <laughs> one of the I always imagine that you're together but you you're in separate areas no no we're, we're here look there's Sarah's hand oh are you there together yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's why because it was I thought that was, that was making me feel a bit uneasy that you're in separate rooms because I was thinking how do they know each other's cues and like oh. what's going on well at one point Jeff scribbled the number eight to me meaning ask Jesse Armstrong number eight um, maybe after this interview, I'll refer to you as Jesse and it all, all my friends will make fun of me for being on a first name basis. Um, this is my question. A moment that, uh, a thing that really resonated for me. And I say this, where did it go? I have cookies right here in case my blood sugar falls while I'm speaking to you. In the very first. I think on the screen, we are seeing the answer, the preemptive answer to your question. Oh here. my, I mean, it's like we're the same person. <laughs> Jesse, um, is it you? Does does Carl's blood sugar issue stem from you? Uh, no, but sorry, well, continue you, you your see, question. The, the question is, when Carl started needing to eat, when Shivs comes in and he's eating, and, and I thought, there I am. I said to myself, there is my entire essence on display. And then I thought, if I'm thinking it, everyone's thinking it. And I want, I, I really would like to know the origin story of that detail for Carl, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, I think I'm not, I'm, I'm greedy, and I like nice food, but I can ride the waves. Uh-huh. I think George is not great at riding the waves. She needs to nibble on something pretty constant. Oh. Not constantly, that's rude, but she needs some food within hand. I think um, Armando, who we meet, Tony and John have worked, and George have worked with quite a bit. He needs, he's pretty low blood. He can dip in and out. <laughs> Brian Cox needs to have some nibbles. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a number of people in the in the wider universe and sometimes quite close to the show who, who need to nibble. I'm not. I can cope. I think. You're in good company. I meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> on, on backstory, I've read that you have like an enormous bible you've talked about it a bit already that you're you you know 
the characters. You you know the world, and um, we we see that great scene of Frank and Carl kind of having a fireside chat about the various tribulations of Logan and Waystar Royco over the years. And something I'm interested in is, is is not just that that exists, but when you have actors who they feel like they really want to know the characters. And I know Jeremy Strong is, is at the extreme end of this, and maybe that's something we can talk about. Is there a conflict about what they want to know or what their interpretation is and, and what you know as the creator of those characters? Um, I don't think you often hit a conflict. We do have a Bible. I mean, I, you know, we could over-egg that. It's not like 500 pages of canon. It's probably not even 50. We've got timelines. I mean, there's business timelines that I've done with Marissa Marr, who does uh, is a business consultant and more. And then I've got a timeline that I probably wrote for when I did the pilot and that's kind of been added to and added to but you know it's I wouldn't I would never make that public because (laughs) people probably still wouldn't be that interested but it's it's not immutable I shouldn't I shouldn't have said that what because I want people to feel when they watch the show that it is immutable but since there's just the three of us and I can admit to you privately (laughs) no one will ever know there could be things written in that Bible that we then change our minds about, that I change my mind about. And I'm like, you know what, that's okay. I thought they went to Singapore for those years, but actually it's better if they were here. And that's okay. You need something to disagree with. It's a bit like in the room. When we start the room up again, I've got a pitch for what the next season will be, but that's not immutable either. But it helps to have the proposition because then you can start talking about it, right? And so I've got a timeline, but then if the actors have as they sometimes do, gone away and said, we, you know, I th- we think this might have happened. Now, very occasionally I might say, look, I don't, I really don't feel that's how they've got to where they are or what their emotional state is or what would have happened. But usually it's accommodatable. You know, we've had that about, I've talked to different actors about whether they've got kids or what kind of fate-shaped families they have. And if they've got a strong feeling and it fits emotionally with what I think we've portrayed and what feels right to me, I'm happy to, you know, I, we think a hell of a lot about the show all the time, all the people in it, but probably never as much as the, well, sometimes not as much as the person who's actually playing that role. So if they come and say, look, I think this is what's happened, that's great because they're usually really smart and they've hit on something consciously or or unconsciously, which can enrich the show. So bang it in the Bible or or even the kind of mental Bible that I carry, which is more amorphous, but in some ways more important than the one that's on the page. Yes, there was something in the um, New Yorker piece on Jeremy, who, who, by the way, I think is is giving one of the great dramatic performances of our lifetimes, where he knows that Kendall wouldn't be eating a Waldorf salad, he would be eating a shaved fennel salad, which is brilliant because he is right. And, And there's this suggestion throughout that piece that that is him making the workplace difficult through his commitment to character. And I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about that, because I feel like on a, on a set you might have, it's, it's like trying to have Miles Davis, Yehudi Menuhin, um, Sid Vicious all in one band, all playing the <laughs> same piece of music, but their approaches are going to be different. Is that the cast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, they do. They're different approaches to the acting. Yeah, sh- shaved fennel, exactly right. I think that it's probably a Waldorf salad in the script, and that's a good detail of like, yeah, he could be eating a Waldorf salad. Maybe he likes Waldorf salads. I would. Uh, it could have worked. I don't think anyone would have switched off and be like, "Oh, this show is fucking bullshit." Look at that <laughs> Waldorf salad. <laughs> but Jeremy's thought about that, and that's like, yeah, that's right. That feels right, and then it looks kind of good on the play because the art department and props are brilliant. They can accommodate it quickly. Um, Jeremy, he's got a kind of Stanislavski actor studio, Strasbourg derived, um, immersion in the character. That's an intense process and it works great. And his performance is the proof of the pudding, right? It's great. You occasionally have to hold the line and make sure that it doesn't negatively impact the other people in, in the scenes, but it very rarely does because mostly they're all trying to do the same thing which is be really real and in the moment so I think I said before I I remember I think the very first thing we shot of the pilot was Jeremy in the car rapping with the headphones on and I remember just uh, looking at Adam McKay and being like I think you know I'm not sure about anything else but I think this show is going to work like I think this is right and I don't think I've quite seen this tone before 
And that moment of happiness was because it was a slightly ludicrous thing to be doing, but it's done with the complete commitment of what you do in life when you're being a bit of a jerk. You don't know that you're being a bit of a jerk. And in a way, if you can successfully carry it off, you suddenly aren't being a bit of a jerk. You're that person who does that thing. So, um, yeah, that level of commitment is a hot coal at the, at the middle of the show that we can we can warm ourselves off. And as, as the Kermit the Frog on the show, in that you've got to corral everybody into putting on a show, how disruptive is something like that New Yorker piece where quotes are cherry-picked and somebody is walking into their job knowing fractions of what other people have said about them? Mm. Is that now part of your job to kind of manage that not really i mean happily i've got the metadata and i saw that there was like a a kerfuffle and i think it's fine it's like one of those things isn't it that comes along and it's a big deal and then no one remembers it and everyone hopefully everyone just remembers the show and and um everyone's performances and and i don't know i don't yeah I i can't and i'm glad i can't speak to the specific bits but being Kermit, there is somebody probably below Kermit, isn't there? I did Scooter. <laughs> but also who's working Kermit. Um, <laughs> but being the Kermit, yeah, I, yeah, I'm the showrunner and have a certain responsibility to sort of hold the ring and keep it working creatively. It's not something which takes, we're not in danger of blowing up. We all, we, everyone gets on. It's, it's all right. That's part of the job I can, that I don't mind. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that gets, you know, with the show has got more and more attention and it could potentially, it could be a thing, but it's never been a thing before. So, yeah. I remember at some point reading, reading about Larry David talking about Seinfeld and being like, he was just, at a certain point, he was just praying for them to get cancelled because the... After the, after the pilot. Right, right. It's sort of like every year would be like, okay, we'll just get cancelled. We'll just, you know, and for however many years he was on it before he left. And I was wondering like, how, what is the percentage of sort of fantasy and fear when you think about succession continuing? Are you like, oh, fuck, all right, I can, I can make it through one more season, but this word look is fucking killing me. Versus, like, no, 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 let's, all right, I can do 10, I can do 10, let's do 10. Where are you on that spectrum? It's a good, another very good question. Um, yeah, I do, I was chatting to Tony the other day, and I was like, we could just say that was it. Yeah, we could say, <laughs> go, we on could go on holiday. holiday. Yeah. It, I think it would be okay, and we could say it's what we intended all along, and... That might be good, and um, that would be nice, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to do it again. Yeah. And uh, that both is the most delightful feeling and the most terrifying feeling because it's, yeah, in the abstract, it's like a massive mountain to climb, and like it's we do a lot of work on the show, and I, I start early and end late in the process. It goes on forever, but yeah. Also, I can hear myself moaning and being and thinking of many the many writers who, who I know who would be like, well why don't you fuck off because it's also a wonderful opportunity to work with you know with all that budget and all those actors and all those opportunities you know the the thing that scares me most the thing that scares me most is ghosts which I don't believe in but the thing that scares me second most is like leaving opportunities on Mm. the table that like we've got this material we've got this extraordinary cast we've got this tapestry we've got this opportunity to say stuff about the real world that I care about and that we're gonna fucking forget to do it or not manage to nail it and so yeah I'm pretty excited about doing more but also terrified of ever getting it what am I terrified of of yeah of not of not achieving it of losing it of of uh, you know talking on too many podcasts and some in some ineffable way pissing away the creative urine it seems yeah, like the if, creative I'm urine. If, if, it, if i'm pissing it away it's urine i'm pissing away the creative urine by 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 doing it in public and and to your earlier point a bit about like what's it like feeling the show being well received but not quite being able to dive in to that a little bit i i don't tend to do a ton of these kind of chats partly because i'm i don't I'm not a great thinker on my feet and I'm, I've got a bit of a fear of misrepresenting myself or saying mischaracterizing stuff, especially when there's so many people who I love, who I collaborate with and getting it wrong. But the other fear is that you somehow talk it out or that the cultural effluvia. Hello. I think that's the right word. 
what sort of starts to outweigh this nugget of show and it sort of like becomes like hold on that's like you spent seven hours talking about the costumes like what about the show <laughs> because it's all it's all really to do this show just really quickly can someone um specifically a writer could a writer work on your show who isn't a workaholic yeah yeah i mean yeah it's a, there's lots of different ways of writing on the show some people don't write episodes some people do some people are there you know come to set and in the u.s or, or in the europe and some people can't or you know there's there's a tons of way of working on the show you can be a lazy writer on succession can, you can be a lazy writer <laughs> on succession well not lazy but you can not be a workaholic we need some workaholics but there's people who can relax on chaise long with um, oh. cigarette filters and just to- toss out the old bon mo and like oui, oui. cash their huge checks. Would you like that role? Would you mind? <laughs> I might lack the talent, but I think I'd bring the right energy, if you know what I mean. All right. Uh, uh, we, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of our time. So I've got a bunch of questions which you can answer quickly, but if you feel the need to show us a bit of working out, then then feel free. Oh, okay. I'm, 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 I'll, I'll be wanging on endlessly about <laughs> to, to run down the you, clock you yeah my balloon and now i'm i'm just blabbing about the show oh. which i hate doing no. but i clearly love it no. as well. where did you uh where did you get roman's dick pic from oh it was like you know it's a proper thing like there's a process it's like you don't want to have to every you don't want somebody not everyone wants to look at dicks all day so there was a process and like i can't remember how it went but maybe scott producer oversaw it and then mark was looking at the dicks and then i approved the dicks and did you how many dicks did they narrow it down to before you were choosing the dick oh uh, we i think i got probably a portfolio of you know maybe a dozen uh final uh p9 i want to tell you i think it was the perfect penis for him i think he did a really good job and if you'd like to bring me in on season four i'll smoke those cigarettes on that chaise long and i will choose those dicks for you when it comes up again um the jp the list of guests for kendall's 40th birthday party there was a jp mentioned now i'm not asking you who it is i'm gonna mention some jps and you're gonna tell me if i've if i've landed on the right one somewhere in there listen Jordan Peele, no. Joaquin Phoenix, no. JP from Fresh Meat, maybe, or former Deputy Prime Minister John Prescott. <laughs> no, yeah, I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to comment because I want the show Fine. to remain a whole thing. Fine, but yeah, I've asked. You've declined to answer. Next cue. Would we get the same answer if we asked you if Peter Munyon is a reference to Peter Mannion from The Thicker Bit? Uh, yes. Okay. The list, the list of people, the list of people from the party. We we have some sort of highfalutin New York society ish kind of connected. They might cringe at that description, but we have people who know about that world, and they provided me with a list of people who Kendall would probably want to oh. invite. And so I went through that with Susan and Tony, and we had the list. Plus, we I thought like, well, there'd be all this these people, but then there'd also be some people who people didn't know were these people. So that list is a mixture of people who are all characterised and then other imaginary people who are also people, if you know what I mean. Totally. Is there a script for Willis play anywhere? Mm, no, I wouldn't be surprised if Susan Sunhi Stanton, who's an off-Broadway playwright herself, had dabbled with it but we didn't we never did a full sans ourselves <laughs> she wrote good reviews of it. she wrote some very good reviews of it oh, god all right is your personal toilet a stair machine a bench a fridge a lover a brother or a priest uh, uh yeah no my toilet is is you got most importantly of all it's also it's, a toilet. it's also <laughs> just a toilet what is the best atn news crawl that never made it onto the screen oh i have a good document of those and i'm always constantly it's like a fucking nightmare trying to remember what has been on screen what's almost been on screen what could get blown up by future technology and not doubling them up so we've got some goodies but we might use them again so i'm not gonna say who would you save from drowning and you can only save (gasps) one who are you saving definitely gonna answer this however hard it is okay you have you have to commit to an answer definitely you can only save tony roche or mark mylod Who's surviving? I can't answer that. <laughs> I tried. I mean, uh, can you give me some more context? <laughs> I, I think mean, we've got to move who, Who'd you drag out of the water first? Yeah. I think with Tony's big guy, Mark's pretty, I would, I think Tony, because I'm, I'm more, I think Mark is, you know, directors, they're very uh, resourceful, whereas Tony's a writer and writers are helpless babies who need looking after. So I'd, uh, Mark would be fine. He'd like make some, 
thing out of plankton. Are there massive clues or plot pivots in any of these things? Just yes or no, you don't need to incriminate yourself. Uh, the poem Dream Song 29, the investigative podcast about the Roys or Peter Moneying having been around for about 40 years. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to take the fifth on ah. that. Oh God, this is wonderful. <laughs> I feel like I'm at the centre of something. Okay. Um, has... <laughs> Being in this world that you've created of the Roy's, has it affected the way that you go on holiday? Ah, well, I mean, I've made more money from working with HBO, so there's been so it has affected it in that way. Is that what you mean? No, I, I mean, think are, what are, you, are you, you know, yeah, it's like, the world of yachts and those big villas becoming more and more attractive to you. Well, obviously, I'm getting corrupted slowly, yeah. probably quite quickly. But one of the things, like we were on that yacht, I was in the bottom of it in the screening room doing rewrites with Tony mostly or coming up with alts. I think the script was pretty locked. I'm watching cuts, but I couldn't wait to get off it. You know, every day, I think the crew, some, some crew got to stay, were doing some morning stuff, uh, sunrise stuff. So there was an opportunity to stay on there. Uh, it's fine. It's nice. It's well, it's not nice. It's horrible. And it's quite, even though it's one of the biggest ones in the world, the corridors are small. The bedrooms are still quite small. You can see the same people all day. It's like, how do I, be asking people to get you a cappuccino, all these lovely staff. But honestly, get off that boat, go to a norm, probably quite nice hotel in Croatia and go for a walk and have a cup of coffee. That's life, right? The, you, to be on that fucking yacht with the, your handcrafted people and every moment has to be an epiphany and the perfect, that's death, you know. Life is elsewhere. So so I th- hope I continue to remember that, but I probably will forget. Uh, in a completely non-binding way, what's your best guess at a month and year of when we'll see season four? Oh. Uh, I'm not going to do that because okay. I will be worried. Is it okay to ask someone to take their coat off at your party? Yes, You'd be very good at a congressional hearing, I think, yes. is what we've learned through those <laughs> questions. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for manifesting him. I can't quite I believe this. I manifested you. I spoke happened. to you on the podcast and then you manifested. So it's all about my power, really. And have uh, you done anything nice for the rest of your birthday? Well, I'm, I'm chatting to some media outlets. Some, so that'll be delicious. And trying not to talk about the show oh when I sort of desperately want to talk about oh. the show. So living in this kind of weird mental vice and then I'm doing some nice stuff yeah and I've already survived death by swimming in the icy cold Lido and as you've seen I've got this cinnamon bun to to enjoy so things are looking up he's a cold living water swimmer he's yeah. a cold water swimmer fascinating detail we got it in at the end um thank you so much for taking the time it was a real pleasure. yeah hey well this is a real pleasure I love chatting about the show if I can find the right way to talk about it and I feel like I did at least a bit so thank you for the thoughtful questions and um uh yeah it's lovely to chat to you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.